0: Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're brought to hear a sermon entitled Reasons for Hope. As 2020 proves to be a difficult and unforgettable year, we are certain there are still reasons to hope. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy! This year, 2020 is stacking up to be the most unforgettable year that we would all like to forget. Seven months now ago, COVID-19 came and that virus has changed our lives. It's changed our world. It's changed how we interact with people. It's changed how we attend school. It's changed how we attend church. It's changed everything that we've ever known. Then in the midst of all this, the racial unrest that we're constantly feeling and wrestling with as we witness more violence against people of color. And then there's protest, and then there's counter-protest, too often followed by violence. And then there's just the culture that we live in right now that is ongoing in such a state of polarization and politicalization of everything that's spoken or done. How do we handle all this? Where do we find hope in all of this? How do we find hope in the face of all of this that puts fear into our hearts, that gives us disappointment, that makes us disillusioned? Today we're going to look at how we find hope and where we look at hope. And and here's the first thing that we all need to know when we're facing a feeling, a sense, the prospect of hopelessness. The first thing that we always need to remember is that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And what does it mean for God to be sovereign? It means that God is in complete control, that God knows all things, that God sees all things, And through his all-powerful and his all-ever-present nature, he is in control. You know, God was not surprised by the COVID-19 pandemic that's circling our globe. God was not taken off guard by the rational reckoning that's moving around the world. And the polarization and politicalization of everything in this country did not take God by surprise. Now, that doesn't mean that God causes everything to happen. We all have our free will. We all have our choices. But ultimately, we know that God is going to work in our lives, that He is going to be present. I like to say this, that God will work in us or around us in whatever we face. That is His sovereignty. He wants us to do His will in the face of COVID-19, in the the face of, of having this racial Reckoning in the face of the craziness in our culture. But we have to choose because he's given us the choice. We have to choose. Will we do God's will or will we do our own thing? As we look at the scriptures and we see God's will continually shown to us and we see the sovereignty of God, will we choose to align ourselves with him or will we go our own way? You know, when it comes to fear and disappointment and disillusionment, And all of those circumstances, they can cause us to worry. And we need to understand the power of God, even when we feel out of control, even when we feel hopeless. We need to trust God. In the book of Romans, it says this We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That's a promise that we need to hold on to. That scripture tells us that we can trust God. It tells us that we can put our hope in God. That verse reminds us that God can do the seemingly impossible. And he can. And that's where our hope is. When we read those words, God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. We want to ask, what is the good that's being talked about? It's in the very next verse. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would become the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The good that God is working for is that God chose us to become like his son, Jesus Christ. God is working in us and in our lives, whatever the circumstances, and he's helping us become more like Jesus. This process is called sanctification. It's becoming more like Jesus and being sanctified is becoming holy. If we open our eyes and we let God see how we're being made holy, we will and let ourselves see how God is making us holy, we will learn and grow in our faith. As I've spent some time just reflecting over these past seven months, you know, I've seen how God is helping me become more concerned with the things of His kingdom and less concerned with the things of Of my own part of the world, my own little kingdom. During COVID-19, more than ever, I've connected with my neighbors. I've checked in with them to see how they're doing, just checked in on their well-being. So recently, one of my neighbors shared with me, who's a very private person, shared with us that he was going to be having some surgery. And that gave us the opportunity to check in on him and let him know that we're praying for him and that we're there to do whatever he needs. And it's just, it's opened up a new level of our relationship. As we've all witnessed the racial unrest following the murders of so many black people, I've seen open pathways uh, to connect with my friends of color and to make more friends of color, and we openly talk, and most importantly, I'm learning to listen to their stories and understand what it's like to be a person of color. And that's important. And as the polarization and politicalization of everything grows every single day, I sense God's nudge to go in a different direction, that nudge to share God's Word and let people take it in a verse at a time. God's Word is the opposite of this craziness we see in our culture. And I need it, and you need it, and we all need it. You know, I need to say this about Romans 8:28. Knowing that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God is not about getting a new car or a new job or a new whatever. Don't misinterpret this along some prosperity gospel idea that says, if you do this for God, God will do this for you. This isn't about us being in control. It's the fact that God is in control and He's working in all of our lives to help us become more like His Son. Have you ever found yourself in the midst of a crisis and you just want to run away from it? Have you ever made mistakes that came with painful consequences? Have you ever worried yourself sick about something? The hope of this verse is that God is working in us. We're not alone. He will take you through the crisis, through the mistake, through the worry, and help you become more like Jesus. There's a great example of how this works with God. It's from the first book of the Bible in the book of Genesis. It's about a a man named Joseph. Joseph was the favorite son of his father, and he had a lot of brothers. And as a result, his brothers were jealous, and they actually hated him. And so one day they attacked him, and they they literally threw him into a pit, a, a cistern. Now, Joseph was begging for his life because they were planning to kill him, but just then a caravan of people traveling to Egypt passed by, and and his brothers decided to sell him as a slave to those travelers. And so think about it. In just a matter of minutes, a few hours, Joseph loses everything that's dear to him, his father, his family, his food, his financial security, and his freedom. And he's crying out, not only to his brothers for mercy, but to God for mercy. And to Joseph, it seemed like heaven must be silent. Joseph ends up being bought as a slave by a guy named Potiphar. He was an official in Egypt. Now, Joseph is a good-looking man. He's attractive. And after a little while, his new boss's wife makes a sexual advance toward Joseph. And because she's married and and Joseph is a godly man, he resists. And because he resists, Potiphar's wife is offended and she strikes back. She falsely accuses him of trying to attack her. And as a result, Joseph is thrown into prison. He's probably wondering again, God, I've tried to do the right thing and is this how you reward me? Joseph ends up spending 10 years in prison. A decade. But while he's there, he cultivates a spiritual gift for being able to interpret dreams. And one day, Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, has a very vivid and a very disturbing dream. And he he goes to his advisors and he asks them to interpret it, but they can't interpret it. But he hears from one of them that there's uh, someone, a guy named Joseph, who's in prison who has the gift of interpreting dreams dreams from God. They would have said the gods. And so he summons him. He summons Joseph to come and interpret his dream. And so Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream, and Joseph, with the help of God, is able to interpret his dream. Joseph says, Pharaoh, this dream means that a great famine is coming to the land. And so while the harvests are plentiful, You need to stock away grain so that you can survive those years where there's a drought. Pharaoh understands and recognizes the wisdom of this young Hebrew man. And Joseph, on the spot, is promoted from being a prisoner to being on the level of the prime minister over all of Egypt. And sure enough, in about seven years, famine hits. Many people in the region start to suffer from hunger and starvation, including Joseph's family back in the land of Canaan. They run out of the food. They become very hungry. And eventually, they hear that there is lots of food stored in Egypt, and they make their way there. And unbeknownst to them, they find themselves standing before their brother Joseph, but they don't recognize him anymore. Joseph looks different. He dresses like an Egyptian. He speaks Egyptian. And when they talk to him, he speaks harshly to them through an interpreter. His brothers look at each other and say, is God punishing us? Is he punishing us for what we did to our brother? He pleaded for his life and we wouldn't listen to him. God's punishing us. Joseph sees all this. He understands what they say because he understands Hebrew and he can't stand it any longer. So he tells his Egyptian staff to leave the room and leave him there with his brothers and he begins to weep. He begins to bawl his eyes out and he looks at his brothers and he said, Don't you know who I am? It's me, your brother Joseph. I'm the one you sold into slavery. His brothers turn pale with fear because they're convinced that now Joseph is going to take the power that he has and exact revenge on them, that he's going to kill them. But Joseph doesn't respond that way. He says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Pastor Ken uh, Sigmatsu points out The phrase intended for good literally means to weave, to weave. So Joseph understands that God could take the evil actions of his brothers and weave them into something good for him and for his family and for the saving of many lives. Now Joseph never says that being sold into slavery was good. He knew that was bad. Joseph never says that being abused by his brothers was good. He knew that was bad. Joseph never said that sin is a good thing. He knows that sin is bad. But Joseph understands what we read from the Apostle Paul earlier from the book of Romans. That God can take evil and even bad things like even the things that we're going through in our country now, disease and racism and disunity, and God can work them together for our ultimate good so that we are made more like Jesus Christ. The sovereignty of God in the midst of what brings us hopelessness is what gives us hope. God is in control. God is working to cause everything to work together for the good of those who love Him. Yes, even the hard things, even the bad things, even the difficult things. God is our hope, and we need to remember that. Here's the other way that we find hope in the face of fear and disappointment and disillusionment. We remember that Jesus is still our hope. Now, what does that mean? Well, when Paul wrote to Timothy, this is what he said. He he called Christ Jesus, our hope. Jesus is the hope of the world, and he's the hope of the world now while we live this life on earth, and he's the hope of the world to come for eternity. Author Lee Strobel writes in his book, The Case of Hope, I recommend it to you. He points out that much of what we call hope falls into three categories. Wishful thinking, blind optimism, and hopeful dreams. Wishful thinking is when we try to change reality with our thoughts, attempting to hope things into a better existence. We say things like, I hope 2021 is a better year than this year, or I hope I passed my test. Blind optimism is different. It's always taking the positive outlook on everything. Maybe you've heard this story. I heard it and I thought it was quite funny. Parents of, of two twin boys uh, struggle with them. One of them was a terrible pessimist. He thought everything was always going to work out poorly. The other one was just an, uh, an amazing uh, blind optimist. He always thought everything was going to, to be great. And so uh, the parents decided that as, as their birthday was approaching, they were going to have to do something to counteract this Extreme pessimism and this extreme optimism. And so for the pessimist, they bought him all kinds of brand new toys. Now, this is shocking, but for the optimists, they just got him a huge pile of horse manure. And, and so on their birthday, uh, as their parents came to see them and, and they saw what they were given, the uh, pessimist uh, said to his parents, Thank you, I, I'm not going to open these. They'll just break anyway. And the optimist came up to him, and he was all smiling, and they were saying, why are you so happy? He goes, I don't know. I just keep digging and digging, and I know there's going to be a pony down there. That would be blind optimism. Finally, there's hopeful dreams. You know. There are lofty dreams that we choose for ourselves and that we set out to achieve and that we work really hard for. And it's important that we work for our dreams, but sometimes we have to embrace that there are limitations within ourselves or limitations without that are gonna hold us back. I mean, you can dream to be of a, be a, an NBA player, but if you don't have the skills and you don't have the size and you don't make it through high school basketball, you're never gonna be an NBA basketball player. You can dream to uh, you know, have uh, uh, the best job in the world, but if you don't do the things that you need to require to have that job, it's not gonna work out. Sometimes our dreams fall victim the things that we do or that happen to us. Our earnest belief in our dreams do not guarantee that they will become a reality. But let me contrast wishful thinking, blind optimism, and hopeful dreams with biblical hope. Biblical hope is the kind of hope described in Scripture. Uh, You see, for most people, hope is something they do. We hope For something better. But the Bible tells us that hope is something that we have. It's something that we possess. Biblical hope is the confident expectation that God is willing and able to fulfill the promises that he made to those who trust in him. The Bible refers to this as living hope, And it's directly linked to to the work of Christ on our behalf. The Apostle Paul uses that language. This is what he says. In his great mercy, speaking of God, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That's living hope. Peter tells us that hope through Jesus is our living hope. And in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that hope is something that we can actually attach our lives to. In the book of Hebrews, the Apostle Paul writes this. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Here is the hope that we can have in Jesus He promises to change our lives when we believe in him and follow him. He promises that he will guide us and he will keep that promise through giving us the Holy Spirit to be with us forever. He promises that he can use the things intended for evil in our lives to do good things in our lives. And of course, he promises us forgiveness for our sins and eternal life to all who believe in him. Let me go back to that verse from Hebrews It says, the hope we have in Jesus is an anchor, an anchor for our souls. And he says, it's firm and secure. Uh, Reflecting back on those other things that hope can be anchored to, hope is only as good as what it's attached to. Our hope, our anchor, is Jesus Christ. Hope has no power in itself. It's only powerful when it's anchored in Jesus, the one who showed us how powerful he was And is. Remember, He defeated the power of sin and death on our behalf. So let's talk about the hope that you and I have. We have hope from our past failures and sins. The Bible is clear that every human being is a sinner. We all sin. We miss the mark. If you've ever done something wrong and grieved it, you understand what this is saying. But Jesus forgives us. In fact, Jesus gives us second chances and third chances and more. In the book of 2 Corinthians, we read this. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The amazing good news which is filled, that's amazing good news which is filled with hope. God forgives us. He wipes away our sins. He gives us hope. When we recognize our sinfulness and ask for forgiveness, He forgives us. Let me go back to the verse from 1 Peter that tells us that God has given us a living hope through Jesus. Do you see what it says about this hope that we have in Christ? It says it will never perish, spoil, or fade. And it says this inheritance is kept in heaven for us. It's the promise of eternal life. You know, the reality is this. Everyone will die someday, and we'll all go somewhere when we die. But Jesus promises us eternal life, and He says it will never fade. I share another conversation that Pastor Lee Strobel had. He said, I was talking about the inevitability of death with a computer salesman named Jeff Miller. He attended our church, and he told me about a fateful flight he had taken from Denver, Colorado to Chicago. About 40 minutes before they were supposed to land at O'Hare International Airport, there was a muffled explosion and the plane swung to the side so violently that the book Jeff was reading fell out of his lap. As it turned out, the engine over the tail had exploded and the plane's steering was severely crippled. As the plane began to make the approach for the emergency landing in Sioux City, Iowa, it became clear that the situation was desperate. Jeff told me that some of the other people around him began trembling and crying for fear. Others put on an air of optimism and kept telling themselves that there was nothing to worry about. As a Christian, Jeff started praying. And he recounts this uh, simple prayer that was anchored to his hope. He said, thank you, Lord, that you're mine and that I'm yours I want to live, but I know if I don't, I'll be with you and you'll take care of my family. You see, he had a confident expectation that God would fulfill his promises to him. Now, if you remember this event in history, you may have remembered seeing the video of the plane when it scraped awkwardly on the runway, it broke apart, it cartwheeled and exploded into orange flames. Jeff said he braced himself for the for a violent death but it never came. The piece of the fuselage he was in tumbled into a cornfield and it came to a stop upside down and Jeff hung there suspended in his seat without a single scratch. Lee says I asked Jeff, "What was it like when everyone knew the plane was going down? I mean, people don't usually survive airplane crashes. Was there a feeling of being in a hopeless situation?" He said, "Lee, I'll tell you the truth. It, it was scary." But at the same time, I felt like I was full of hope. I mean, there was hope if I lived, and there was hope if I died. I'd be with Jesus. It's like it says in Psalm 118, "What can anybody do to you if your hope is in the Lord?" So look, I don't know what you're going through today. I know what we've experienced in 2020s thus far, and I know it's challenging. So I need to ask you, do you have hope? In the face of the things you're struggling with, do you know that your hope is in Jesus Christ? Do you know that God is in control, that he is the living hope in our now and also for our future? You can have that hope. You can know that hope simply by telling Jesus you believe in him and you want him to come into your life. And you can have that hope as you put your trust in Him. It doesn't mean that things will not uh, be difficult. It doesn't mean that you won't go through challenging times, that you won't face challenges and worry. But it means that He is with you and that He's in charge and that we can trust Him. So I want to pray that we will all walk in hope. And I also want to give anyone the opportunity who's never professed their faith in Jesus, that their hope in Him, to do that today. And then after that, we're going to move into the Lord's Supper, celebrating this, this very tangible uh, word picture, that, uh, this idea of what He's done for us through the taking of the bread and the cup. But Let me just pray as I close out this service, as I close out this message. Father, we thank you that you have given us a living hope that you are with us and that there is nothing that we have to fear or worry about because you will go with us. And Lord, for anyone who's never put their hope in you, if you would like to do that today, just pray these words silently back to God. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. Go ahead and pray that back to him silently. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe that he rose again from the dead. And now I want to walk in hope following him every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.